But baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go away. But baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been hoping that you so very nice. I'll hold your hands. Welcome to the Bladcast. Very excited to be joined by the one, the only, Mr. Orson Bean. Orson, welcome back to the Bladcast. Where is he? Where is he? Well, I think he, I think he's you. Is that Milton Berle, mother? <laughs> I, I don't recognize him. Uh, first of all, most importantly, I always need to ask, how are you doing, Orson? Better than I deserve. Right, and I think some people would take issue with that. I think that they think you deserve to be doing great at this point in your life. But, well, uh, I don't think anybody deserves <laughs> to do well. I don't know why uh, babies are born with leukemia, uh, and I don't true. know why guys... Uh, smoke uh, two cartons of cigarettes a day, drink a fifth of whiskey, beat their wives, and live to be 100. I don't know how that works out. So if I have good fortune, I'm grateful. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And it's good to be appreciative of you. It's funny because you mentioned that. And whenever you hear about, you know, the oldest woman in the world, 114, who just died, and how, what was their secret to it? Shot of whiskey before bed every yeah. night. They like almost always say that. Yeah. And you're like, well, there's something to be said for that. But yeah. So if you want to live even longer, maybe have a fifth of whiskey before yes. bed. And perhaps in moderation. But as Winston <laughs> Churchill once said, everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> also, that was, now he would know about moderating his he moderation. Uh, for our listeners at home, we came in with a little bit of a great uh, Christmas classic Baby, it's cold outside. Now, there's a huge backlash against that song suddenly this year because a few people decided to say that it's... It's very date rapey sounding. And, you know, because he's convincing her to stay when she doesn't want to, sort of missing the whole point, which is that she needs to say she doesn't want to stay. But it's like, has anyone never tried to court a woman? You know, like, come on. Has anybody ever tried to have sex with a woman? And, you know, right away, she isn't usually like, yeah, that's right. Let's let's get right down to it. Talk about dated. It's, uh, 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 here we are, out of cigarettes, holding hands at midnight, look how late it gets. Two sleepy people from dawn's early light, but too much in love to say goodnight. Dated, they wouldn't be smoking, and, <laughs> and they wouldn't be sitting there afraid to say goodnight because they'd be, be in bed fucking. <laughs> I mean, That's my word. True. I mean, I like those lyrics, but... I also like the the new ones, bitches is hoes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Which, by the way, that'll be the uh, the pull quote from this uh, that uh, Orson Bean likes bitches and hoes. <laughs> bitches is hoes. Yeah. yeah, but I I think I don't know, and I think it's just like, on some level. Baby, it's cold outside. Represents like uh, we sort of can't like anything anymore. You know. I remember Louis Armstrong and Velma Middleton said, oh, "I really must go, but Velma is cold outside." <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. The big victim in all of this is humor. Yeah. You can't make fun of gay people. Milton yeah. Berle used to sing, 
She wanted a boy, he wanted a girl, and they're both satisfied with their baby. You can't do that. You couldn't do that, no. I'm playing, I, I get cast as an old guy lately, and the only thing they can do with an old guy is to make him horny. I, I'm always trying to get into the girl's <laughs> pants. Yeah. They can't do what they should do, which is feeble old man jokes like Artie Johnson used to do. Or what's his name that worked with Carol Burnett, played an old man that was could hardly move. That was funny. That's called elder abuse now. Yeah. You can't do it. You can't make fun of women. You can't make fun of anything but white men. Yeah. And, and there's not much you can say about white men, uh, uh, much less funny, even well, interesting. What, yeah, I mean, the key point being that it's not funny, but what we as white men are most guilty of is, in fact, being white. So we're not interesting enough. No, we're not so interested. we're very dull. But and that's why you, I have a Chinese wife, yeah. because it makes me more interesting. And if it gets you off the hook, as you always say, oh... Uh, I, owner of a Chinese restaurant shakes his wife awake, awake at 3 a.m. and says, I want 69. I want 69. She says, you want beef and broccoli this hour of the night? Now, you could tell that. You say, well, that's not racist. I have a Chinese yeah. wife. Yes, when I was a kid, there was a song, I don't stand a Chinaman's chance with you, which meant no chance at all. And yeah. there, was a, there, was a, there was a Chinese American comic who used that as an opening number. I don't stand a Chinaman's chance with you. And it's interesting because, you know, that was probably a great gimmick for him because he was the he was the Chinese comic. You know, yeah. Dennis always talks about the Native American, the Indian comedian that would be on The Tonight Show sometimes. And, you know, Is the, was there an Indian? Yeah. Comedian? And I actually can't remember his name. I mean, American Indian? American Indian. Yeah, but you yeah. can't say that. You no, you say kept saying Native American. Native American. And then, of course, if you're talking about a Canadian, you yeah. can't say Native American. So there's. First Nations peoples and all these things. The but, only really funny Indian I ever met was an old friend of mine named Jay Silverheels. Who that's played, who it is. I, oh, oh no, 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 that was Tonto. Right? That was yeah, Tonto. Yeah, yeah. He played Tonto. And he said, I married an Italian girl to get back at Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was you, pretty So wait great. a minute, you were friends with Jay Silverheels? Oh yeah, I knew Jay. So how did you uh, meet him? Did you work with him or I something? I don't even just, remember. Just I just knew we, we used to go and have coffee together and... Oh. Uh, and, and hang out. And he was the only funny Indian I ever met. <laughs> I don't find Indians funny. I mean, I don't think that they have a, a sense of humor. I mean, if you try and think of, you know, the who are the, you know, that kind of Indian, the Native American Indian, like who are those comedians out there? Who are those comedic actors? And, you know, you, you basically have actors playing Native American Indians uh, like Lou Diamond Phillips, who will also play Mexican, and you know, if you give him a hat, he yes. could probably play Asian. Yes. You know, so it, it's that seems to be. So not only do we take their land and put them in really <laughs> shitty land, it's like yes. And by the way, you're not allowed to act. So <laughs> and you're not allowed to be funny. I can't believe this is not inherent in them. It must be a rule that they're living up to. You know, you won't be funny. White man say, blue eyes say. Speaking of blue eyes, years ago I became. Uh, uh, not an intimate friend, but with a movie star named Jeff Chandler. In the days when you could cork up and play the blue-eyed Cochise, which he oh. did. <laughs> and I met him uh, on, the, on the night before the election of uh, Jack Kennedy. Okay. I had taken a couple of months off and campaigned for Kennedy. And um, the night before the election, he was to come back to Boston to vote the next day. And there was a big uh, uh, rally at the Boston Square Garden, which is the Boston version of the Madison Square sure, Garden. Yeah. So uh, I was emceeing, as I did at all of these events, 
and you have to kill time because the candidate is always late, no matter who the candidate is. Where you come? Where do you come from? You know, I saw two guys, or you know, and so there was a group of us standing there: Jeff Chandler, Angie Dickinson, in her twenties, wow. and thrillingly ripe, and uh, <laughs> a group of celebrities. So the candidate finally shows up, and the crowd goes nuts, and for five minutes he walks back and forth pointing at people. I never understood why, why a politician candidate pointed at people yeah. until he pointed at me. I still remember it. <laughs> of it course you do. Yeah. And uh, so for a moment, he stood in front of Angie Dickinson, reached around, very discreetly and grabbed her by the bum. Oh. <laughs> and I looked up at Jeff Chandler, who nodded sagely. And afterwards, we went for a beer, and he told me, everything that moves. <laughs> and apparently, the uh, the Secret Service was aiding and abetting this yeah. throughout his presidency. But they had secret entrances. Yes. They had whole systems yes. designed. Yeah. But I mean... After the next day, Jack Kennedy would send her, his conquest flowers and, and, and a note, and they, for the rest of their lives, thought it was wonderful. <laughs> Unlike a later president who stuck a cigar, you, know, you don't exactly. There, don't was, think there that, was no gift basket. There was no know? gift basket. Maybe no. it was, you know, you can grab a slice of Domino's pizza on yes. the way out. Yeah. So I don't know why people object to a president saying, I, I grabbed it by the pussy. I, I think that's presidential. I, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the president who stands out is maybe the one who didn't, you know, ever say anything about. You know, my, my, not, my cousin, Cal Coolidge. Yes. Yes. Silent Cal. Silent Cal. And uh, he used to feed the dog at the table in the White House, and his beautiful wife, Grace, would say, Cal, please. This is my house. I can do what I want. <laughs> my, yeah. my mother, when she was in her, I guess she was about 21, was beautiful and funny and was invited to stay in the White House for several months oh. uh, with cousin Cal and had great tales to tell about it. Oh, I can't even imagine what it when, would be when like. When Cal to... Coolidge was 12 and my grandfather was 12, uh, Cal's mother died. That was my grandfather's aunt, the Moore girls, a randy pair from uh, <laughs> Plymouth, Vermont. And he moved in with my grandfather at the age of 12. Had, uh, my grandfather had to share his room and his bicycle and despised him and continued to despise him when he was president. Did he vote against him? No, no. He <laughs> okay. was a Republican. So he drew the, so he drew the no. line there. <laughs> my, uh, the black sheep of the family was my grandfather's brother, Park Pollard, who was the head of the Democratic Party in Vermont. Wow. So he got to dispense all the largesse from the feds because Roosevelt was president throughout my entire childhood. If there was a post office to be opened, Cousin Park was the one who gave it to the guy. If there was a bridge to be built on federal funds, Cousin Park. See, now that's that's very interesting. But to, to go backtrack a little bit, you know, about our president-elect Donald Trump, you know, obviously, sure, there's audio of him saying, uh, you just go up and grab him by the pussy. He's, he's a guy trying to make another guy laugh. Yes. And I feel like, you know, it is probably someone as high profile as him. He probably actually didn't do that. But then you have the sort of much more concrete allegations against Bill Clinton including in the White House, as you alluded to. And I, I think you're right. I think it might be one of the most presidential things about Donald Trump is that he likes women because, Absolutely. you know, except for who was the bachelor president? Was that uh, James Buchanan or Garfield? Garfield, I think. I think there was, so. Yeah, so there's there's the one that... Uh, I campaigned in, back in my 
liberal days for Adlai Stevenson, who sure. would have been a, a bachelor president. Right. And I remember when he lost, he lost twice. Uh, all of us in the room who had campaigned so hard for him and heard that Eisenhower had been elected, there was no bitterness. We said, well, I hope Ike does a good job. You know, it's a disappointment, but let's hope he does well, as opposed to today where they're trying to undermine his presidency. Yeah, and I mean, I think that this was the most divisive election in my life, which is much shorter than, than yours, but at the same time, it's Not like, that much less. Just about half. <laughs> And you could be my son. I could, I could be. I used to travel a lot. There was a good-looking woman. <laughs> I looked like you. Well, if she was a good-looking woman, she didn't look like me. See, I need, I need the rim shot after Brum. a joke like that. Yeah. I know a guy who, instead of doing a rim shot, says, Menachem Begum. <laughs> he tells a joke, says, Menachem Begum. I like that. I, think that. I think that we should bring it back. But I think that, you know, the previous couple elections had also been incredibly divisive because, of course, you know, a black man was running. Hmm. So there was immediately like, well, if you don't vote for him, it's a racist. And then you sort of trot out, well, if you don't vote for him, you're a sexist and a racist, mm -hmm. even though Hillary was white. <laughs> and arguably may or may not have been human, but that's besides <laughs> the point. You know, she would have been our first woman president and or our first android president, we don't know. But I think that it was just, it's just so unpleasant to, it, people don't want to talk about politics for the most part. I have talked to people who perform stand-up comedy, not the big level people, you know, but I even talked a little bit with Dennis about it when he was on a couple weeks ago. It's just like, it's just not worth it to tell jokes about politics because, it, you know, people are tired of hearing about Half politics. of your audience is going to hate you. Yeah, and even the half that doesn't, it's like, I just don't want to hear anymore. Know, it's like, I've, I've heard, you know what, I've heard enough Trump jokes from yeah, people who yeah. think that they're smart and told everyone not to vote for Trump, and you know I get it. It's uh, they're very easy jokes, and I think even people who didn't vote for him are like, you know what, just enough. But like, the jokes aside, the vitriol. Yes, that we, we thought it was vitriolic during the campaign. Oh, it's going to get worse. Yeah, I mean they know there's no chance of undoing this election, but they will try just to throw feces in the fan. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's, you know, and I, I do a, a an internet show that we talk about politics. Uh, the campaign version was called Trump versus Hillary, and now it's called the Trump Report. But we were on live uh, on election night, and n myself included, no one could believe what they were seeing. I think I was the only one who was appreciative of how fascinating it was mm -hmm. that nobody saw this coming. Even nobody on then, Fox, they didn't yeah. see it coming. And most of the people on Fox are not happy that he was elected. Right. Republicans hate him almost as much as Democrats. I think it's the end of the Republican Party as we know it. I mean, I think it's definitely the end. As, no longer as the rich it. guys with the red golf pants. No, yeah. it just isn't. It's going to be blue dog Democrats who are voting Republican because they like the candidate. Yeah. And the other side is probably going to go farther and farther left and hope to capture some of the glamour of, of, of Bernie. I would have been happy enough with Bernie as president. The Congress wouldn't have let him pass anything anyway, and at least he's an honest well, that, man. Well, that was the argument people, you know, conservatives that I knew had when Hillary became the candidate, that they were okay with Bernie because he was going to yeah. overreach yeah. and not get anything done, and then, you know, four years later it would have been fine. And, of course, you know, Hillary had the whole town wired, so I think people were much more concerned. But at the same time, part of that is the reason that people are like, yeah, well, this, this isn't what should have happened. And yes, she got more in the popular vote. But at the same time, it's like, well, it's a system that's in place that, you know, 
at some point, it will benefit a Democrat. It didn't benefit Al Gore when he got a little bit more in the popular vote. Hillary got some more in the popular vote. But now it's like, oh, I think we now we really need to, to look at it. At some point, a president, a Republican candidate will lose the popular vote. No, sorry, will win the popular vote, but lose the Electoral College. And then they'll be like, oh, no, we're good. You were we good. like yeah, it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Well, it keeps, keeps us from electing presidents only in California and New York. Yeah. I mean, otherwise... Yeah, but, you because know, I believe in God sure. deeply, profoundly, and I believe in miracles. And it was a miracle of Old Testament proportions when Trump won the nomination. It was a second, even greater miracle of Old Testament proportions when he became elected president. So to me, it appears now that God has a dog in the fight. And maybe the third miracle is going to be that he does a good job. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, a miracle is a miracle. It doesn't suit everyone. Parting of the Red Sea, great for the Jews, not so hot for the Egyptian soldiers, but <laughs> yeah. still a miracle. Still a miracle, yeah. No, that, and I, I think that that's, that is a great point. And, you know, you're uh, bringing God into it means that maybe it is indeed possible that God was aware that Hillary at some point had made a deal with the devil. And he was like, all right, I'm going to have to step in. And, you know, that contract is going to have to be null and void. I know, the devil never grabbed her by the pussy. <laughs> I don't think Bill ever grabbed her by the pussy. <laughs> But I think it, it was just, it's so surprising. And then, you know, the problem now with the world we live in, there's a lot, but one sort of day-to-day -day problem is that everyone decides to share their innermost thoughts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, although Instagram is mostly pictures. And you're just like, the day after the election, I talked to Dennis about this. It's like, oh, I can't even talk about anything that's not the election because yeah. people are like, how can you even think about yeah. posting a picture of your baby doing something cute? Yeah. This is terrible. Uh. And it's sort of, you know, it's kind of gone on. And you have these people that are holding on to the hope of, well, let's hope the Electoral College does the right thing. Except, of course, what you're hoping for is that they do the wrong thing, which yeah. is not, yeah. you know, which is basically like if you went into your polling place and, you know, you voted for Donald Trump. The person working there was like, no, I know what they meant. They meant they meant Hillary Clinton. I'm that's, just going to go ahead and change that. That's why it was such a surprise, because nobody copped to the fact that they were going to vote for Trump. Yeah. And then they did. And it was like, even on Fox News, Ali and I went to Mexico on a rare vacation to a club med in Mexico. Uh, and we were surrounded by French people. Unfriendly. For, sorry, that's redundant. And, <laughs> So uh, we stayed in our room on election night and yeah. turned on the, the in-house TV. And to my astonishment, they had Fox News. I had thought we were going to have to sit through not just CNN, but CNN International. Yes, the fancy CNN. Oh, where my everyone God, has that's an really Karl yeah. Marx. But they had Fox News. Blew my mind. And later on, when President Obama complained that in every bar in the Midwest, Fox News is playing. I've never seen Fox News on in a bar, but that's because I live in California. Yeah, I mean, I, I've actually seen it on at the gym, and yeah. I'm like, oh, if I, if I get on the treadmill that has Fox News on, yes. uh, is, is somebody going to decide that they need to, you know, <laughs> educate me and be like, you know, you really shouldn't be watching that. I'm like, I don't know, I'm just trying to sweat, bro, <laughs> you know? So... Uh, but we watched, uh, as Megan Kelly was astonished, she didn't want Fox. Uh, she didn't want No, that, that really ate into her... Uh, contract negotiation, that's, renegotiations, that's and right. her book deal and everything. Yeah. So, well, well, anyway, the next day, 
down in Mexican Club Med, for the first time, the French people spoke to us to offer condolences. Oh, je regrette. C'est dommage. C'est dommage. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting because I don't know whose interest it's in for him to do a terrible job and ruin the country. Now, if you want him to be opposed at every turn by uh, a Congress who is the minority, the Democratic Congress is a minority, if that's what you want, that's one thing. But if you're rooting for him to fail, you're rooting for America to fail. And I remember very well on the day of the inauguration in 2009 when President Obama was inaugurated, you, sir, sat in on our show, on the Dennis Miller Show. Uh, Dennis uh, was in his home studio, the, the underground bunker where he <laughs> is able to avoid human contact. And uh, you were there with us, and you, you and Dennis had a conversation about, like, well, it's not a guy that I voted for, but let's hope it goes well. Yeah, at and least it may be an end to as, racism. As t- you know, and that was that was an important part of it. But it's also like, yeah, let's just see. Yeah. And, you know, you gave it some time and both of you yeah. reconvened on the show and talked about, well, this isn't going well. But, yeah. you know, it wasn't like, oh, it's it's our job to make it go poorly. I wouldn't have moved to Canada if Hillary was erected. I would have said, all right, let's hope she does better than Obama. And she, I think she probably would have. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of any scenario where I'd move to Canada, but uh, I visit. I love Canada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah go up there and smoke your Rothman cigarettes and <laughs> shut up. Um, very inappropriate comment that I once heard. Someone told me, uh, it, it, since we've used the word so many times on this installment of the Blackcast, was that uh, Canadian pussy tastes just like freshly fallen snow. Ah! So I hope your wife's not in the other room. Uh, no, that, that's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. Right, isn't it? And I was like, well, I never found out. So if anyone knows, tweet us at Blackcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. I think that's a compliment, eh? I, I, you know, I think it's most definitely uh, a compliment. So anyway, that's, uh, you know, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the, the politics and, you know, we'll sort of see how it goes. Uh, but obviously the politics spills into our popular culture and as a member of the theater community, you still perform. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts about the actors, the cast of Hamilton speaking out while Mike Pence was in the audience. Um, I'll, I'll sort of recap for our listeners who've heard me talk about it. I don't think that there's a problem with what they said and I liked what he said to his daughter on the way out which was, you hear that, that's democracy. You know, people disagreeing with me, wanting to say their words. Um, sort of pe- the way people responded to it after the fact is a separate conversation. But what do you think about you see an elected official in the audience that maybe you as an actor disagree with? Is it, is it uh, taboo to speak out and, and try it, and influence them in some way? It's not taboo, it's just plain rude. Right, I just do understand rude. that. Yeah. Whatever happened to rude? Yeah. I mean, whatever happened to telling a kid you to stand up when your grandpa comes in the house? You know, yeah. what, whatever happened to, you know, opening the door for a lady? Oh, you mean I can't open it for myself? A woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. <laughs> I don't know what happened to Rude. It's just plain Rude. It seems to me that the left, and I, I was blacklisted as a communist in my day. I wasn't Rude then, and I don't think the left was. But the left has become much ruder, and the, the right has not. Yeah. I mean, I, I watch Fox News, and the people that interrupt and talk over you are almost always 
the lefties. Yeah. Juan Williams talks over everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I don't see the right-wing people doing that. They, they, they are just a little less rude or more polite. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I think that that was sort of the, the thing that was lost in it, it was that it, it was very rude. They felt like it was important. They felt like they needed to say something. And then when it took on a life of its own was the way that people reacted which was, oh, well, now we're going to ban Hamilton. And uh, I, I got some feedback from conservatives uh, when I said, you guys weren't going to go see Hamilton anyway. First of all, <laughs> it's a Broadway show. Second of all, you'd need to take out a second mortgage if you yes, wanted to go see you Hamilton. Sell the car. Oh, yeah. And third of all, it's, it's rapping the story of Alexander yeah. Hamilton. Yeah. And I've heard a couple of the songs, and I'm like, I guess that speaks to someone that's not me. <laughs> that goes back to me being the last group that you can make fun of. The white man, yeah. and I'm just like, you know what? It, I'm, great, enjoy it. I just don't think it's for me, especially I, I not for three hundred dollars. I myself thought it was a wonderful show. So you've seen it? I've okay. Seen it. No, I'm glad to hear that. Then, yeah. yeah, I thought it was a wonderful show, but the stagecraft is is a lot of what makes it. You you, you hear the uh, the CD and you can't quite get it. Son of a whore. Kids all over America have learned that, and they're doing it. Son of a whore. Yeah, immigrant. I've uh, I've seen friends post on Facebook that yeah. all of a sudden they their like, kids kid are doing the kids it. like are ten. I think it's a wonderful show, but, okay. but it's it's a sin that you have to pay eight hundred bucks or whatever. I I, I I give money to the actors fund, and one of sure. the perks you get is you can buy uh, house seats at, oh, okay. at the going rate, which in those days was two hundred and fifty bucks. It was just too much already. Yeah, I did Broadway shows, including big musicals, for twenty years on Broadway. From nineteen, hello Basil. There's Basil my, is uh, Orson's squirrel friend who's come, on, come Basil, to join come us. On. Oh. Uh, I guess uh, Basil's not in the union. He ran away as soon as he saw the microphone. But the last show I did on Broadway was in 1970. It was a big hit musical uh, based on the film uh, uh, <clears throat> Never on Sunday <clears throat> with the great uh, movie star Millian McCurry. Nobody knows what I'm talking about, but it was a huge musical. The top price was $9.90. Wow. The top price for a hit play was $5.90, six bucks. So even adjusted for all those things you adjust for, it's ridiculous that going to the theater now is something you can only do if you have a business expense. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, you certainly can't afford to take your children to a Broadway show. I mean, even an appropriate, you know, your, even your Mary Poppins is going to yeah. be out of your price range. And yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, World Series tickets from 1969 when the Mets beat the Orioles, I've seen it, I have a t-shirt, it was like... I think eight fifty is what it was, and I don't know where that was in the ballpark. Yeah. But I went to the World Series last year, and uh, well, let's just say I spent almost a thousand dollars for two tickets. A hot so, dog is twelve bucks. Yeah, it's true. Come on. Yeah, and I think that I don't know. I mean, if you feel like you and I don't mean you, but if the theater community feels like they want people to experience the arts, those specific arts. I, I don't know what the solution is, but you can't you can't afford to have your kids see it, and then they're only going to hear the CD, and then they're not going to they're going to miss the stagecraft part of it, like you were alluding to. One solution here in Los Angeles is 99 seat theater. The Actors Equity Union made a deal some years ago that an actor could basically work free. I had to get seven bucks or something uh, for theaters 99 seats or fewer. Anything oh, over 100, you have to get paid real salary. So now they are fighting, the union, our union is fighting for us to get minimum wage. I never thought that a union would be championing its 
fight to get people to pay paid as if they were working at McDonald's. Yeah. So the theaters will have to shut down because the theater that my wife and I are members of does Chekhov and Shaw and you, and Shakespeare, and you get a chance to do these things. So, but it's a cast of 14, 15 people. Now, if you had to pay 14, 15 people minimum wage, you shut down. Yeah. So no, exactly. we're willing to work for, for virtually nothing because we can make a living on TV shows or in the movies, but we want to get our, our, our theatrical rocks off playing Shaw. And you can't get paid to do Shaw. No, because you can't really charge that much for that. That's the sort of thing where you probably rely on, you know, students or yes. school groups, not specifically the shows that you're doing, but in general, you know, I mean, I definitely took some uh, class trips to theater in, in New York for, you know, there was a musical about the guy who invented the Pullman train. Mm. And I was like, well, that's really obscure, but... <laughs> You know, it's a trip into the city, uh, you know, during the school day. I guess I'll, I guess I'll take it. And, uh, you know, I, I guess, that, well, that probably wasn't $250 to see that show. But I think... Uh, the guy who invented the Pullman train was named Pullman. Yeah. And famously, his daughter married into the Porter family. Oh. And she became Elizabeth Pullman Porter. I was, I was hoping she had married into the Crapper family. <laughs> but uh, I, Did that's... you know that Crapper was knighted? I did not. So he was Sir Crapper? He, was, he became Sir Crapper. Crapper invented indoor plumbing. And prior to that, the poor queen had to be taken out with an umbrella over her head because it always rains in England. Oh, of course. And to the, to the outhouse in the backyard, you know, da dancing attention around her, the poor thing, you know, waiting to come out. Are you all right in there, Your Majesty? <laughs> yes, yes, leave me alone. I'm just sort of imagining modern-day Buckingham Palace, the way people are lined up at the gate and just watching, you know, the queen, you know, has the umbrella over her head. And she goes into, you know, ye old wooden outhouse with... With the, the half moon in the door, which my uh, I never use that style. Uh, well, I never use an outhouse. I've used a portage on it, like a concert or something. But my uh, great grandfather built a house in the Jersey Shore, uh, on the mainland across from the Jersey Shore, and in the backyard was an outhouse that my mom and all my aunts would talk about when they were kids. They're like, "Oh no, we had to get up in the middle of the night and go use it," and I was just like. But why would you? Why would you go shit outside? Like, why wouldn't you just do it indoors? It's like, well, because we, we didn't have it. The house was too old. And it's just like, well, this uh, this doesn't sound like a vacation. But uh, well, you can see why Her Majesty, in her largesse, <laughs> would have knighted the man that enabled her not to have to go out with her umbrella being held and not to have somebody waiting outside to see. What do you think she's doing? You think it's number one or number two? <laughs> Don't she'll hear you. And I, I wonder if uh, if there's also a uh, Sir Nigel toilet paper who also was you know, rewarded well for for his work. Um, you alluded to uh, working in television uh, in addition to doing the theater. And the last time I saw you, you told me about a great project you're going to be a part of that uh, I just wanted you to take just a couple minutes to tell our listeners about it. So it's created by Greg Garcia, who was the creator of My Name is Earl and I guess... Uh, yes, dear, a number of shows. Yeah, a few yeah. other shows. Yeah. Uh, and he's so he's a great uh, TV creator. And uh, so talk a little bit about what the show is. And my favorite part is your character on this show. I love this concept. This is a show built around a cabin and a guest book in the cabin. And the name of the show is The Guest Book. And different stories occur each week as you will watch the show in this cabin. Uh, and completely... Let it go. I'm too rich to answer the phone. 
<coughs> might be an agent trying to get me work. I long for the days when I can celebrate my dotage by sitting in a rocking chair and reading Dickens. Instead, the Almighty keeps having my agent call. I've got it. Oh, God. Yeah, the money's good. I'll do it. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, Greg Garcia has created this conceit that different things happen in the cabin. And the episode that I'm in is about some doctors who think they've got a cure for Alzheimer's. Now, I'm the sweet old man that lives in the old folks' home, and everybody loves me, and I don't know who I am. And they bring me to this, cast, this cabin because they think it will look like the, the 50s place that I lived in when I right. wasn't in my dotage. So as my memory starts to come back, it turns out that I'm a no-good son of a bitch, a misogynist, racist, and I, this female doctor's posing as my wife, and I slap her. I said, that's for not listening. <laughs> now, put on something pretty. We've got to get to church before they give away all the good seats to the cripples. <laughs> it's very dark and very uh, funny. I, and I just, I loved the idea of it when you told me about it. And uh, so, and that show will be on in 2017 on TBS. I just looked it up. Uh, yes. We don't have an actual date, but keep an eye out for that. I think it's February. Okay. Mar- yeah, February. So that'll be great. And uh, I just love that. And then you were telling me also uh, another show that you're working on, which I wasn't aware of, uh, Teachers. Teachers. There's a bunch of, uh, of uh, female comics from Chicago uh, who called themselves the Katie Did. They actually are all named Katie or Catherine or something like that. And they formed a, a group called the Katie Dids uh, to do uh, you know, comedy and clubs. And they've got this show, and they've 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 rented an old closed uh, private school, and the seven of them are teachers, and they have a bunch of kids playing the kids, and they bring in guest stars, and I'm on, and I'm this old guy, uh, wearing his Korean War uniform, <laughs> and uh, of course I'm horny for the girls. How you doing, sweetheart? You, you passed out last night before we could do it. How about a quickie before you leave? That's the only thing you can do. Betty White tells dirty jokes. Yes. Old guys are horny. Now, you can't do what old guys really are, which is feeble, forgetful, <laughs> and they can hardly stand up. They used to be able to do that. Artie Johnson played an old guy. And what's his name that worked with Carol Burnett? Had a wonderful... Was it Harvey Corman or no, was it... the uh, short guy that worked uh, with Harvey. Oh, um... Uh, You'll remember yeah. the minute you start trying. But he had a wonderful shuffling old man who could barely move. And it was hilarious to, to laugh at his infirmities. But you can't do infirmities anymore uh, because it's elder abuse. So the guy has to be horny. And it just it just comes out sometimes smutty. I'm not going to talk about teachers because that's funny. I mean, yeah. I, I'm set up as a blind date to this teacher and, and her face falls when she sees me coming and she says to her friend, you said he was from Bible study. He's from the Bible. <laughs> Uh, and that shows for uh, TV Land. So yeah. uh, obviously, God, you know, every you have a smartphone. Well, that's why this. That's why I have a smartphone because I'm not smart. But I, I don't want a machine that's smarter than I am. Well, it this this phone will one day take over, you know, my house and probably get into bed with my wife. Yes, but and the also, president will be Hal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that, Orson. <laughs> uh, but for the Carol Burnett show... That's what uh, he would say to your wife. <laughs> uh, I guess probably Lyle Wagner's... Who no, no. Or Tim Conway? Tim Conway. Oh, yeah. Who, of course, made the uh, you know sort of second career doing those videos as Dorf, the short guy yeah, playing golf. Playing which, golf. again, yeah. is another thing you could never do. Oh, he's pretending to be a little oh, person. Oh, yeah, a little you person. You could never do that. Give me a so, fucking midget and yeah. shut up. I don't... <laughs> Yeah, no, Dorf is probably on, you know, they used to have 
you know, banned books list. Yeah. You know, that would be like Huckleberry Finn and yes. To Kill a Mockingbird. But now it's like, well, banned videos, uh, including Dorf on golf. All you, you can't make fun of short people. You can't make fun of women. You can't make fun of gay people. You can't make fun of Asians. Well, I mean, I can, but you, you can. can. Yeah, you but can. I can't. So all you can do is get dirty. So all the comics are, are doing what we used to call cack. I mean, when you couldn't work dirty, you had to be clever. Fred Allen, the great radio comedian, did a toilet paper joke in the following manner. He says, I just got back from Paris. French money is printed on the thinnest paper I've ever seen in public. Now, what a great way to do yeah. it. Toilet paper, Joe. If he would have said toilet paper, it was off. Yeah, that would have been. You know, it's funny. I remember watching a, a you know sort of a documentary about the early days of television. And, you know, they used for You Bet Your Life, they used to film Groucho, I think, for an hour and a half and cut it down to an hour or yeah. whatever it was. And they're like, well, here's uncensored Groucho that would have been edited. Mm. And it was like he used the word keister once or twice. Yeah, yeah, and it was just, yeah. I mean, it, it's not even like, you know, now where you can have, you, you can say asshole on network yeah, television, yeah. you can say shit after 10 o'clock. But, I mean, I was just like, well, th I, I was still relatively young. And I'm like, well, that's not even close to offensive. But obviously, you know, so I guess that, there are obviously things that are good. It's good to let your creative people do a little bit more. It is. I mean, when, when Lady Chatterley's Lover, which could not be published because it had the F word in it, right. uh, we used to smuggle it home from Paris. Uh, there was an outfit called Olympia Press who published great books that couldn't be published in England or America in English. So we would smuggle Lady Chatterley. It happens to be a great novel. So, of course, they picked that one to go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled that you could use the F word if it were an artistic manner. Well, it was a short hop from that to Penthouse Magazine with gaping snatches. <laughs> I wonder if that should be the title of this episode. Orson Bean and gaping snatches. You know, I had a creative writing uh, professor in college who... Gaping snatches he was, made you think he, of creative he was, Yeah, well, when I tell you why, you'll understand. And he talked about, you know, he like many creative writing teachers, you know, he didn't uh, become rich writing, but, you know, he may, had made a living. And he mentioned that one of the jobs that he'd had was writing the letters for Penthouse Forum. Oh. And I, I, it was just a reaction. I, I so couldn't hold it. You made that stuff up? Well, I was just like, I knew it. I said it so loud, and I was like, I should be embarrassed, but <laughs> kind of not. I knew they weren't real because I was just like, dude, I was just like, that stuff would never happen to anybody. It was always too perfect. And every guy who wrote a letter to Penthouse Forum, they all had eight-inch cocks. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I guess they would lie. If they I came home, my wife was fucking the gardener, so I joined them. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I, I, and I said, that was your Christmas bonus to the gardener. I but, never understood, by the way, that when allegedly Sinatra came home and his wife, Ava Gardner, right. was getting it on with Lana Turner. And instead of joining them, he screamed and said, get out. Now, I suppose the mafia mentality took over in, yeah. in Frank, but part of him must have been saying, what am I doing? Yeah. No, I mean, it should be like, I'm going to divorce you tomorrow, but yeah. for right now, yeah. you know, <laughs> make room for all blue eyes. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's... So, by the way, Ava Gardner, Lana Turner, uh, if you had to choose one of them. Oh, Ava. Okay. Oh, hot Ava. <laughs> now, there was a movie, Magambo, and Clark Gable had to choose between Ava Gardner and Grace Kelly. Now, Grace Kelly is lovely. Very lovely. But Ava Gardner. It is Ava Gardner. Come on. <laughs> um, 
Who are some of the, uh, you know, and you, these are the sort of questions Dennis would usually ask you when you were on, but I'm always fascinated. Uh, some of the most lovely women that you saw in person, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, you would see them in movies, then you'd get to meet them and you'd get to know them at least a little bit. I'm not even talking romantically. You get to see them up close and you were just like, wow, the, the well, film I, does not do them justice. I didn't get to meet her, but I was signed to do to play opposite Marilyn Monroe. Oh wow! In a picture called "How to Be Very Very Popular," which was a sequel to "How to Marry a Millionaire." Right. And uh, she was in it, and Betty Grable and uh, Robert Cummings, and anyway, that was the picture she left after after I was signed, not because not of because me. because you were signed. No, yeah. but because she wanted she wanted to be an intellectual, and she left and broke her contract and went back east and and hung out with. Uh, Arthur, Arthur Miller. Miller sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she she married the body, Joe DiMaggio, and the mind, Arthur Miller, and they married the sex symbol, yeah. which I'm told by people who had their way with her that she wasn't a, a sex symbol. She was nowhere. She was no Ava Gardner. She was lovely and lovely. beautiful. But men men are attracted to youth and beauty, and women are attracted to power, either the power of the mind or the body. Jackie Kennedy marries. Marries Jack Kennedy, and when he's gone, she marries the richest man in the world. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter what the power is. I mean, that's why you see short, fat Jews with gorgeous broads on their arms, because <laughs> the short, fat Jews are power. They they control a movie studio. Well, earlier this week, we all heard about the passing of actor Alan Thicke. Yes. He remarried recently, and he has a much younger wife. Lovely, I believe she's Brazilian. Yeah. And somebody was talking about, I guess they had worked on a reality show that they did. And they just realized that all she, you know, he just adores her. Mm. And all she really has to do is basically 15 minutes out of the day, yeah. you know, spend some time with him. And say, oh, lay with him in a, Yeah, yes, lay with yeah, him in a biblical yeah. sense. And then she has... 23 hours and 45 minutes to do whatever the hell she wants. Yeah. So it's really, it's just those 15 Pretty minutes. Pretty good job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but of course, he used to be married to that wonderful blonde from, from Three's Company. Another gorgeous girl. For years, he was married to her. Now she she does things about health. She produces. Oh, uh, yeah, Suzanne Summers. Suzanne Summers was oh, our sex wife. I, I didn't even realize. Oh that. yes, wow. I took uh, Suzanne. I went up to uh, uh, to Vancouver when Alan Thicke was doing a, uh, a talk show on TV, and uh, we were there, and he was fooling around in the afternoon. He says, "I said I'm going to go to the movies," and Suzanne said, "Can I go with you?" And we went to see um, that Alan uh, that um, Stephen King movie uh, called Carrie. Oh, sure. You know, when yeah. the hand comes up out of the... Oh, she screamed and grabbed me. I almost shit in my seat. <laughs> but Alan Thicke was a man that people used to say of him. Uh, you, the, this, this is a... You can put your own name in this joke. A guy falls off of a seven-story window, and instead of getting killed, he lands on an awning, which slides him off, and a hay wagon is going by, he lands on the, on the hay, and a passerby says, that must be the luckiest son of a bitch on the face of this earth, and the other guy says, no, Alan Thicke is. <laughs> They can substitute yeah. Bert, Bert Convey. You can say whoever you want. Somebody used to say, and I love Bert. He was my buddy. Yeah. They say the uh, the thousand dollar funeral is a solid gold casket and Billy Graham. The hundred dollar funeral is Bert Convey and quicksand. <laughs> well, of course, R.I.P. Alan Thicke, a great TV dad, and sadly, we also recently lost one of the best TV moms. 
Florence Henderson. And when she passed away, there was a photo that I saw as part of the media coverage. It was a photo of her on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And who was a little further down the couch? The one and only Mr. Orson Bean. You were on that show. I never watched TV. My son uh, took a picture of that and and sent it to me. I was astonished. I knew I knew her very slightly. Uh, in her later years, Allie and I used to have dinner with her over at an Italian restaurant in Washington here when she was living in the marina. Oh, sure. That's I saw more of her then. She was, you know, she was the replacement for Mary Martin on Broadway in originally in South Pacific. Oh, okay, right. And then I washed that man right out of yeah. my head. Then she was the replacement for Julie Andrews in... Uh, Sound of Music? Sound of Music. Yeah. She, she was the replacement. And that, that's what she was, a replacement for like that. That's that, And then she became famous for the, some TV show. For the Brady like, Bunch, which Brady actually Bunch. their original choice was Shirley Jones, who went uh, on to do the well, Partridge Family. So she again, a she's a replacement. And, you know, uh, one of the shows I work on, uh, The Tomorrow Show, we actually had her on only a couple months ago. And, you know, I got to talk to her. I, she was driving herself. Uh, up to Encino where we do the show and she was lost so I was talking her through it and helping her find her way there because her GPS of course as so many times GPSs do uh, they in fact don't give you the right directions. In fact, if I had listened to my GPS coming here to your house, I would have driven straight into the canal. So I was like, mm, I think I'm not going to listen. I think I'm going to go the long way around. But anyway. The and, G- yeah, the, 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 you mustn't use that because it does, it thinks the canal is a street. Yeah. And you die. Yeah, I know. Just imagine if you listen. Speaking of driving yourself, I used to drive, I was quite successful on TV and I drove a Geo Metro. So did so, I. Did you? I also drove a Geo Metro. I, fellow Geo Metro Yeah, because driver. my dad gave it to me when I was a senior well, in high so school. Well, so I'm still... doing a TV interview somewhere, and and they've been showing it on the uh, on the set in in the in the lobby in the waiting room. And I come out, and a young hotshot guy who who has just got I found out his first job as an agent with William Morris says, "I just watched your interview, Mr. Bean. It was great." And he walked out with me, and there was valet parking, and the car started coming up, and he said, "Is that your car?" pointing to some fancy. I yeah. said, no, it's the one behind. He says, a Geo Metro? <laughs> Mr. Bean, you drive a Geo Metro? I says, yes. And he said one of the most wonderful things I've ever heard. He said, wow, I wish I could afford to drive a car like that. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I, I, I had to think a little while about yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, that is wonderful. And of course, you know, uh, there was no air conditioning in the car, but uh, I think it got like 45 miles to the oh, gallon. Yeah. So, you know, where? and that was before I lived out here. That was when I still lived in... More rural suburban yes. New York. I, I drive a little uh, uh, VW convertible now. I've had it for years. And someone said, why did you ever put the top down? I said, because I hate to see old guys driving with the top down <laughs> who think they're chick magnets. <laughs> I don't want people to think I even think that I'm you, a chick Yeah, magnet. that you might think you'll roll up to a yeah, red light. And and say, like, what's up? What's up, ladies? <laughs> uh, just to finish my thought on Florence Henderson, though. So I talked her through the directions. I was on the phone with her for 20 minutes. She got there. She was so lovely. She gave me the biggest hug. And I was just like, it's like getting a hug from mom because she was Mrs. Brady on the Brady Bunch. And uh, it was one of those things was very surprising because she seemed, you know, I guess they say this a lot of times. She seemed so uh, full of life, so energetic, and she had all these plans. And so you don't think, you know, there are people that obviously, you know, when their time's coming, she wasn't one. And so... That, I don't know. So that anyway, that was uh, very surprising. But anyway, you know, in, in 2016, which is a year just filled with, you know, not every day, but probably every week, someone where you go, oh no, 
now they're gone, you know? And, you know, I think a lot of people are saying that 2016 is so terrible because Donald Trump was elected president. No, I think, you know, you can think about that what you will, but, you know, some of the... Some of the artists that we've lost, the performers, the entertainers. I mean, just I the, see another one gone, and all I can think of is more work for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think you actually are going to get some work that Prince would have gotten if only he had lived one more year. <laughs> Sorry, God, for saying that. Uh, you mentioned before uh, women that I worked with who yeah. were famous, and uh, I think you said something uh, who looked better on TV. Well, I, I worked uh, with uh, Cameron Diaz in in uh, being John Malkovich. Oh, of course, yeah. Now, Cameron Diaz is beautiful, but she's way more beautiful uh, when the camera puts her on. The camera, they, that's an old bromide. The camera loves her. Well, the camera really loves Cameron Diaz. She's thrilling. She's beautiful in person. She's startlingly beautiful on camera. That's interesting. Now, did you ever find the reverse to be true, that it's just like, you know, the camera just... You know, every once in a while you'll see someone who's like, you don't want to say you're much prettier in person, but you kind of mean it as a compliment. It is and, a compliment. And I feel yeah. like that's that's probably more common, but that's interesting about Cameron Diaz. Yeah. The, the, the director, Spike Jones gave me a wonderful piece of direction once. He was a young guy, and when I read the script of Being John Malkovich, I said to my wife, Allie, this is a great script. I don't know if they can make it, because Charlie Kaufman is nuts who wrote it. Very true, yes. So the first day of shooting, I looked around and it was all the youngsters that he'd been making music videos with. I said, Jesus, everybody's 11. I wish I had the clear silk concession (laughs) on this shoot. But uh, Spike Jones turned out to be one of the handful of directors I've ever worked with in my 70 years uh, who, who really was helpful. There's a scene when uh, Cameron Diaz shows up at my house. I'm this rich old man. Yeah. And she comes in out of the rain. I said, oh, my dear, you'll catch your death. And the scene cuts to her. She's had a shower, and she's in my robe, and she's sitting next to the fire with me. And we did it a couple of times, and Spike Jones whispered something to Cameron. I don't know what. And then he came over and got me aside and said, play it this time like you just finished making love with her. And it was wonderful. And what a, I couldn't wait to play it. Yeah. She didn't know what I was playing. It was a dirty old man. <laughs> I said, my dear, you look so lovely in my oversized man's robe. Is the fire warming up here? Wow, wow, it came out. <laughs> Most directors just cast well and move you around. That's all they do. And then I no, mean, that sounds like that's what people te- seem to say about Woody Allen. You know, it's yeah. like it, he's more like, how do you think that was? Uh, yeah, you yes. know? yeah. But everybody, because they worship Woody Allen, sounds like Woody Allen. Everybody in a Woody Allen movie sounds like Woody. Yeah, no, that's true. There, he did a movie a few years ago. It wasn't a particular one of, one of his best, even one of his best yeah. recent ones. I think it was called Scoop. And Scarlett Johansson, lovely actress, yeah. was the lead. And she sounded like Woody Allen. And I'm like, I think. They figured out a way to make Scarlett Johansson unattractive. Yeah, to have her sound like Woody Allen. Like, I just, know. I, I just like, I might need to look away. I know. But uh, well, back to Scarlett Johansson because she was the voice in the movie Her, which Spike Jones did. Which it's amazing because he is a guy who, as you said, came from the music video world. And for music videos, what he did was very innovating. Uh, you know, one of his first was uh, for a band called Weezer. He took the band and inserted them into footage from Happy Days. So it yeah. made it look like they were playing at the restaurant in Happy yeah. Days. And, you know, it's a, it's very easy to do stuff like that now. 
And I had to stop myself because we went to a, a Directors Guild screening of, of her and because my wife worked for who she worked for, the creative madman, he was talking to us. And I was like, I really want to ask him about the music video, but I, I feel like I should you know, be more respectful of his other work. But then I, I found out later, he's like, no, no, he would have been interested because you're talking about sort of the early yes. process and, and what got him to where he is. You know, Scarlett Johansson was not the original voice. Right, it was her. a British woman. Yes, I, Samantha Morton. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they played, they finished the movie and it just didn't work. She's wonderful, yeah. Samantha Morton. But uh, it, it just didn't work, so they got in Scarlett Johansson and redubbed it. And Samantha Morton was fine about it, apparently, and uh, gets billing as one of the executive producers on the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, she still gets paid, now, so there's that. I, yeah. I love Spike Jones, and yeah. I, I had sent him a, uh, an email after he won the Oscar for Best Screenplay for her. Yeah. And in the, in the story, uh, the, the, the poor guy, when he finds out that the love of his life, which is this disembodied voice, also has countless other people. And she says, but that doesn't change the fact that my love for you is really special and unique. He can't yeah. buy it. And if he had been able to, he could have gone on forever happily in love with his telephone. Well, I emailed Spike. I said, to me, that is a, like a parable about God. I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I think he really loves me. And I also know that Jesus loves millions of other people, yeah. Arabs and Eubankies and God knows what. It doesn't change the fact that I really feel I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I said to Spike, if he had been able to accept that, then he could have gone on really happily with her. No, that's a fascinating interpretation. Now, Spike is not a believer, but no, he but was I've, very touched by it. I mean, it. I think to make that kind of comparison, yeah. sure, even if you're... If, even if that you know you're not a person of yeah. faith, I think it's just such a thoughtful way to yeah. interpret a movie. It's yeah. almost like I I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah. You know, but to, for somebody to make that kind of comparison must have been, you know, yeah. he, he was touched by yeah. that. You know, you mentioned before how easy it was to move the band into the Happy Days yeah. set. Back in the days before all of that stuff, you had to make up ways to do special effects. Yeah. King Kong was a 12-inch doll that they moved around. Right. And I ran into an old guy who had worked on the crew of The Invisible Man. Claude Rains becomes invisible, and the first time you see him invisible, you don't see him, is he runs across a field of snow and you see the footprints. Right. I said, wow, how did they do that now? Nowadays, they poof, it's such a yeah, screen. Yeah, I mean, you could put footprints the, on someone's yes. forehead. Now, the old guy yeah. told me how they did it. They had a huge piece of plywood uh, the size of a field. Mm -hmm. They had a second piece of plywood with footprints cut out onto it. So they put the first piece up on bricks uh, with the footprints. They lay the other piece without the footprints on top of it, and they lay fake snow on top of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Then they slowly pulled back the first piece, and as the snow fell through oh, the footprint yeah. holes, it, and then they reversed the camera, and you had footprints going. Now, how they must have howled with delight when they figured out how to do that. But that is going to look so much better than what you do now, which is the computer makes, you know, footprints appear because 
in the way you described it, they're actually making an indentation in the snow. They're making a footprint. And, you know, we've talked, you know, we'll talk about it in terms of science fiction movies and things, but the ones from the 70s where they use the practical effects and the models yes. and the things, it looks better than all of the computer-generated And on top of stuff. that, there's a wonder when you say, how did they do yeah. that? You don't say that anymore. No. The planet blows up. saying, yeah, some guy had a blue screen. Yeah, right, exactly. So you can do whatever Takes you want. Takes all the joy away. And so when you hear of movies, you know, sometimes J.J. Abrams has done films that have used more practical effects, you know, you can't always figure out which ones they are, which is fine, but I, I like that it's, I like that approach, that you're just like, it's going to look better. I like that there are directors, there's very few of them. Um, I think Christopher Nolan's the only one I can think of who always still shoot on film. Yeah. You know, uh, Quentin Tarantino, I think, also shoots on film. For the most part, it's, well, obviously, the studio is going to tell you how much cheaper it is to shoot digitally, and so you have yeah. to be Christopher Nolan or Quentin Tarantino to well, say, I'm using film, but it's true. It all looks better if, it, if it's real, if it's and real film, the, real uh, effects. And Gangs of New York, was, was, yeah. that, was that Scorsese? Scorsese yeah. yeah. He shot it over in Italy in their big studio outside Rome, and he wasn't going to do... You know, he could have very easily put the great mobs of, of people, uh, of New Yorkers in, yeah. you know, in 1860 on blue screen. No, he had mobs of Italian guys playing uh, New York Italians. Yeah. And because he, he didn't want to do it fake, and I'm sure he used film too, I don't know that. Cameron Diaz was in that picture, speaking of... Oh, yes, she duties. was. Yeah, yeah, she was a thief, a pickpocket. Huh. And, I didn't uh, remember. It's funny because I haven't so I haven't seen that movie since I saw it in the it theater. It was a which wonderful was movie, despite just, the, yeah. the the fact that they had these two movie stars who were fine, but not exactly right. But, but okay, yeah. they had what was the boy's name? The, the famous DiCaprio. Uh, DiCaprio. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, he's sweet, but yeah. you know, but DiCaprio was supposed to be horribly mutilated and scarred in this thing, and he was. You saw the scene where he's tortured and acid is thrown in his face and everything. And then he still looks pretty good because yeah. the studio would say, no, no, we can't have an ugly Leonardo right. DiCaprio. Well, I mean, that's an interesting thing, too, because from a business standpoint, you understand that they're just like, you have Leonardo DiCaprio in, in his movie, we're going to see him, yes. you know, and we want him to look reasonably yes. well. Uh, to go back to Christopher Nolan, in the last Batman movie that he did, there uh, is a character called Bane who has a mask on his face the whole time. And it's a great actor, Tom Hardy. He's a mm. wonderful actor. Mm. And how he was able to get Tom Hardy in the whole movie and you never see his face. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so hard to do that. But again, if you're a certain level, they're like, yeah. okay, we're going to yeah. let you do that. But the fact that Scorsese couldn't disfigure Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio yeah. tells you how bankable Leonardo uh, DiCaprio I is. Know. Tom Hardy's not that level, even though he's a fine actor. Somebody told me that today all the movies are made with thinking of the 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 market in China yeah. and Asia and everything. So that's why every movie is about exploding planets or exploding buses. Around Christmas time comes the Oscar and a few thoughtful movies, like yeah. I hear the Scorsese movie, Silence. I can't wait to see yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard that that's great. And I saw Choctaw Ridge. I thought it was amazing. Oh, was it? I haven't seen it yet. Now, is Nolan the guy in that? It was Batman. And he's also the lead in... Um, in oh. the silence, whoever Oh, that's is. Christian Bale, the Cri actor. No, not Christian oh, Christ Bale. No, Christopher Nolan, the director. Oh, oh, well, then Christian Bale is not who I'm talking about. There's a young guy who I didn't know who he was, but he was fabulous in in, in uh, Hacksaw Ridge. And I hear he's up against himself. He's going to be nominated for the silence, and ha he's already won a Golden Globe nomination for Hacksaw Ridge. And he's amazing. But those are the pictures that come out around December because they hope to get an Oscar. 
Oh, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Who, he was Spider-Man in a few movies. And he was Spider-Man. So he's getting yeah. an opportunity. Batman, to, yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah. When, yeah. By the time I was 14, I was sick of superheroes. <laughs> I loved them when I was 9, 10, sure. 11, 12, 13. 14, I'm sick of that. But 60-year-old men are lining up to see the latest Batman or Marvels of the world or superheroes of time. We haven't grown up. Well, that was the th that's the thing too, because when I was you know twelve, thirteen, I I liked all those characters, and it was of an age where okay, you have to put those away, and if you still read comic books, which I did into my early teens, uh, I didn't talk about it. You didn't you didn't uh, advertise, but now there's sort of this embrace of you know this sort of. Uh, not to be over, you know, psychiatric about yeah. it, but you know, this sort of like over juvenilization of people. It's sort of like, no, I'm going to hang on to that. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And now it's, you know, yeah. it doesn't hurt that Hollywood realized like, oh, I can make a ton of money off yeah. of all of these characters and you know the fringe characters. It's not just characters who've been in movies for the last thirty years, Superman and Batman. Now it's like, well, we're going to go ahead and go with Ant Man, yeah, and Ant -Man. Doctor Strange, and yeah, yeah. these sort of fringe characters. Which I don't know why fifty-year-old men are still in. I think that there's a juvenile thing about men anymore. The, the women don't need the door open, but women don't need to be saved. Who's going to save the country? Who's going to save a woman? If there's an earthquake, who's going to run into the building? Well, not the guy. Who then? Let her do it herself. <laughs> I raised four kids, and the biggest word I heard over and over again was not fair. It's not fair. He gets to stay up later than I do. It's not fair. He got the first piece of pizza. It's not fair. This is not fair. And as they grew up, they used the word fair less and less. And when they got married and had kids of their own, they stopped using fair at all. <laughs> but liberals have never stopped using fair. Because it's not fair. No, it's yeah. not fair. Income inequality. It's fair that everybody should have the same. What? Yeah. You know, this is not fair. I can't make fun of little people because it's not fair that they're little. So, you know, I think they just haven't grown up because I watched my kids stop using fair as they matured. So if you if you keep on using fair, it's not fair, it's not fair means you you haven't grown up. That's what I think. You know, uh, this is sort of a, a, of a side thought from what you were saying. I this feel is a whole like hour of side thoughts. Yeah, it's basically what it is. But I think that there is a technological advancement that was great and it made our life simpler, but it was a huge death knell to chivalry, which is the automatic locks on your cars. So now you don't go around and unlock the door for a lady first, and then this is from a movie in the 80s, but yeah. you have her go in and then you see, yeah. does she reach across and unlock the door for you? Yeah, or yeah. does she just sit there yeah. and it's fine for you to unlock yeah, her yeah, door? Yeah. Which is like, so there was this sort of like, it was a great moment in early relationships. Which when you reach I had, across. And you just, does she reach across? And even yeah. if she doesn't, well, yeah. of course, the right thing is or to still unlock the Or do you reach across and, and mayhap brush her bosom? Oh, the yeah. Way to, yeah. No, I mean, that would be when we drove up the yeah. back of the mountain. And I was yeah. like, oh, you know what? I think I ran out of gas. Uh, My but, grandmother used to say, who would buy a cow when they give the milk away for free? You know? <laughs> yeah, she exactly. was right. Um, you know, you talked about uh, your, your, your parent, your grandparent, and as you know, I have a delightful 16-month-old boy, and Felix. And he is delightful, too. Thank you. And uh, he's so happy. He's so full of life. He, we take him to daycare, and before I can even get out the door, he's, bye-bye, bye-bye. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so Felix, I'll see you. Bye-bye. He's 
not, you know, he's just he's happy he's to go run off. Truly secure and, if he can take yeah, that by. He's so happy, and you know, we were just told the other day that he's happy to go off and play by himself. Mm. Some of the other kids, you know, they're not quite sure. And so they'll follow him around. It's like, well, yeah. Felix is doing it, yeah. it's worth yeah. doing. So and I was just like, I don't know, I can kind of see like that must be amazing to not have that kind of fear and not all the hey, you shouldn't do this. Yeah. You should be you know, and I just feel like it's Don't send them to college. Ever. Question. Ever, because they will teach him that all he knew before, that life is fine, is not fine, it's not fair, and this country's not fair, and the whole world is not fair, and life is not fair, and you better get that through your thick skull, because your parents have paid thousands of dollars for you to learn it. No, it seems like that's really what college has become, and I feel like he'll live in a world where he... Yeah. Being half Chinese, half white, he's going to have to resent his white half because, yeah. like, I, I, you know, I'm yeah. not, I, I'm not fully representative yeah. of yeah. the modern society. Ali's uh, godson is half white and half black, and a handsome boy did fabulously in school. And used to say to her, "This was a short, eight nine years ago, you know, racial thing is of the past. I, me and my white friends were nobody, my black friends, nobody says anything about it. That's over." Not now. After eight years of Obama, he's saying this country is racist, and he's out there you know, protesting along with with Black Lives Matter. It, it's oh, changed that much since wow. Obama got in. I'd say I didn't even realize. I yeah. mean, that's. A, I was gonna say that's a great example. I mean, that's a, a terrible, heartbreaking example, but yeah. a very interesting example yeah. of what's yeah. happened. Yeah. So, as we start to wind down, I want to you know move to more fun topics because it is it is just about Christmas time. And you, as you do every year, you perform in A Christmas Carol as, of course, Tiny Tim. No, of course, as Ebenezer Scrooge. Although I would like to see your yeah, Tiny Tim. I it'd feel be like, interesting. Yeah, but as Ebenezer Scrooge. And you do it at a church not too far from here, right? Yeah, we give it away free. We've done it about 11 years in a row. We pack the place. It's absolutely free. They don't even pass the plate. Kids sit up front on the floor. It's fully costumed. My wife, Allie Mills, works on a soap opera, The Bold and the Beautiful, at CBS, and bats her eyes at the costume department, and they give us all this period stuff. And uh, some of the actors are professionals from the Pacific Resident Theater down the street, and some of the kids from, from the church school. And we put on this wonderful, uh, if I do say so, adaptation. It's funny. And it's touching. And I wrote it because I had played in other people's uh, versions of Dickens' Christmas Carol. And they, there was a lot to sit through that was boring. Old Joe was a character that, that is, he's an old clothes dealer. And then when Scrooge dies, they're, they're selling his clothes. And who cares? That's when the kids <laughs> began throwing popcorn at each other. Right. So oh, I left the bad stuff out, put some jokes in, and left the heart, heartache. And, and it's a wonderful production. Uh, yeah, I can imagine that uh, it would be a great role for you. And obviously, if you wrote the part, that is even better. As you think of some of the people you've seen portray Scrooge, whether it's on the stage or in films, uh, who are some that stand out to you as being good? And if you want to call anyone out for being bad, I'll certainly appreciate that. Uh, 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 Donald Duck was good. <laughs> Donald Duck's very Scrooge good. McDuck. Yes, Scrooge McDuck. I mean, he's, he, he had good. the name. Yes. He was going to be I great. mean, the, the negative character always steals the show from the positive character. Donald Duck steals the show from Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Given equal actors, Iago steals the show from Othello. I mean, very true. we're fascinated with, with badness. But the great, great... Uh, uh, Scrooge was Alistair Sim oh, in, sure. a, in a movie, an English movie. He was wonderful. And he spoke like that. A, a remarkable boy. 
an intelligent boy. Oh, I loved him, but I'm second best. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I, I think that uh, it, it's interesting because I find that one of the, believe it or not, one of the better and most true to life, I mean, obviously it's a fictional character, but one of the best portrayals of Scrooge, I thought Michael Caine was Scrooge in The Muppet Christmas Carol. And mm -hmm. obviously it's filled with Muppets. I didn't but, say it was right, good. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's great. And no. I think that it's, it's sort of, he... He knows, first of all, he's Michael Caine, obviously. Yeah, he's yeah. always there for a check, but yeah. he could just be there for the check. And he's like, I'm dancing with, you know, puppet frog and rats. Yeah. And, and he's still, he doesn't play it as though it's not a serious character, yeah. which I, I think is great. Well, you don't play with the Muppets for the check. Everybody wanted to be with the Muppets. Yeah. When it was on TV, every star wanted to guest on, on with the Muppets, of course, with Miss Piggy. Yeah. Yeah. And but of course... We should mention that, that my Christmas Carol, for those, if you have any people that, that follow you in the L.A. area. I do. I'm very big in Hollywood. No, we do have some people that are local. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so it's at the, uh, the, the First Lutheran Church of Venice, which is on Venice Boulevard, about halfway between Abbott, Kinney, and, and Lincoln. It's okay. just, just east of Oakwood. And it's 7.30 Friday night, the 14th. And then 5.30, Saturday and Sunday, the 15th and 16th. And it's free. Show up early. And if you have a kid, he sits up front on the floor if he wants. That's and, great. And um, you just get, come early and get a seat. And it's great. It lasts about an hour and 10 minutes, and you're out of there and home having a beer. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're still doing it, by the way, because yes. you used to promote it on Dennis's show. And, yeah. you know, it would be one of only a handful of things that you would have to promote because you would usually say that you're too rich to work. Yeah. But you've occasionally still worked anyway. And you were doing a one man show for a while, yes. uh, which was based on your book, Safe at Home, which was mm -hmm. another thing that you would only plug in the Dennis Miller show. And you're like, somehow I'm selling it, just promoting it on your show. Well, I've given it away free on YouTube. Right. That's what I was going to say. So yeah. the one man show people can go find yeah. on YouTube. Go Google. I, Orson Bean yeah, One Man I, Show. I will post the link uh, on the Black Cats Facebook page. I'll tweet it out on Twitter. All of the you know magic computer ways that we. If all If you talk can't to each find other. it, go to my website, orsonbean.com. Uh, right, yeah. of course. But thousands of people are already watching my hour and a half show. I'm quite thrilled. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's great. Also, it's great that you gave it away for free. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we have so many people that miss you from the Dennis Miller show. They miss the Dennis Miller show. Me too. But I'll always say, like, well, you can always find Orson. And there's also great old videos of you just telling jokes. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's... You can Google those too. Yeah, yeah there's some, some great jokes. On, but don't on tell Dennis, but I have more fun talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well... Dennis tries to make sure he gets all the jokes in. I, I save them, but uh, but I'll come to your house. So all I right, make it yes, you make house you. calls. Uh, so uh, one final thought. Uh, I wanted to ask if you had, not necessarily for me in particular, you gave me the advice, don't send Felix to college. Is there what you feel is a great hard and fast, wow, you had four kids, you, you have all these grandkids, you wish somebody could have told you at some point that no one ever told you? Well, one thing that somebody said, many people have said, is the only time you can talk to your 16-year-old is when he's six. <laughs> your 14-year-old is when he's four. Right. It's too late. You can't talk to your teenager. And especially now, when they got the world in the palm of their hands. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I did when I was nine, but <laughs> there was nothing in it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I look, I've used my phone throughout the interview to look things up, but <laughs> it's true. I mean, you see families go out to restaurants, and look, I get it. I'll bring Felix somewhere yeah, he doesn't yeah. want to be, and he is crying, and yeah, I'll distract yeah, him with yeah, snacks yeah. and things. But you'll see, so you have the parents are there, and yeah. the two kids yeah. are 
you know, looking down yeah. and playing yeah. video yeah. games. And I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, I understand the I want to make my life easier. I'm going out to the mm-hmm. restaurant. I don't want to cause a scene. But at the same time, it's like, you know, when we would have dinner as a family every night at five o'clock, by mm-hmm. the way, and or when we would go out, of course, it was the whole thing was we, we all talked. It wasn't yeah. just so my parents could, yeah, yeah. you know, distract us. Yeah. So I think that obviously if you do have that sort of environment. Like my, my wife is very close with her mother. When I first met her, she would call her mom every day on the way home. Yeah, look, Chinese I, dames yeah, love them. Right. I love my mom, but I was, I, 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 if I talk to her every day, I'm like, yeah. what are we gonna talk about? Yeah, you know? unless and you're my, gay, you don't do no, that. No, but if my mom heard this, she's, she'll probably comment, well, that would be nice if you wanted to call me every day. But, and you know, so she loves her mom, but their family's very close because it was always the four of them. They did things together and it was, you know, she has a sister. So it was, her dad was the one guy mm. and they all went and they did things, you know. Mm. So he sat through movies he never would have wanted mm. to see, but he saw it because that's what the girls wanted to see. And I, I see that and I think that that's great because... You know, my family, we were very close, but it was a lot of, like, very sarcastic, mm. like, sniping at the table mm-hmm. at each other, which, you know, sort of made me who I am. Yeah. But uh, it's a very sweet thing to see. So my point being that I feel like if we're talking to Felix, which we do now, even, you know, he talked back to us, by the way. We have no yeah. idea what the hell he's saying. Yeah, yeah. But he talks a mile a minute. And it's and, interesting, even if, you know, what the hell it is. Yeah, but, I mean, you start to get that you know what yeah. he means when yeah. he says things. Like, we've taught him a couple of sign language things that seem to have been useful, like, more, because he would just get upset. And not being able to communicate with us uh, was very upsetting. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, so he, he, you put your hands together for yeah. more. And uh, then I'm clever. like, oh, so you clever. don't have enough food. Please, sir, and, I want some more. And, you know, we don't worry about... Oh, he's going to make a mess when he eats. That's fine. He's a baby. He's yeah, supposed yeah. to make a mess. So he'll take his, we let him have his plate and he dumps it on the tray and it's just all of his foods on the tray and he's stuffing spaghetti in his face. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, fistfuls of mashed potato. And I'm like, well, this is great. I yeah. don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to yeah, be doing, yeah, but yeah. this is fun. And, you know, we, we took him to Disneyland for the first time just two weeks ago. And my wife and I used to go to Disneyland yeah, a few times Yeah, they still have Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. They do. They do. <laughs> we did not take him on it, but uh, he loved Small World. Yeah, yeah. He's oh, yeah. fascinated. It's a and, small yeah, world. Yeah, and you think, as an adult, a lot of them are like, oh, my God, that yeah. fucking song. Yeah. But he's just looking, and he's like, he's amazed. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I started filming him looking at things. Yeah, yeah, because I know. Because he's just like, look at the, all these things. That are, he, and The I, wonder yeah, that he as sees. As much yeah. as I had enjoyed going to Disneyland, you know, talking about being afraid to grow up and I was just going with him was so amazing and you know I'm just excited as we tie it together in this final moment and the Christmas season when he's actually able to be excited and sit there and open presents you know right now he's still going to climb into the box and have fun which I stopped going to Disneyland when the feminists grabbed the Pirates of the Caribbean right the pirate used to be chasing the the wench yeah to bed her. Of course. Now he's chasing her because she's carrying a plate of food. Right. And then, Come on. And then I think in one of the spots, they reversed it where she's chasing him. Oh, God. You know, so... Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing about child raising. Sure. I raised my little girl as a single parent. My, my first wife ran off when the baby was a year old and left me with the sheets, the silver, whoever that is, go to hell. It's show business uh, calling. Yes. And you're like, I'm too busy doing yeah. the black cat show business. So I'm raising this little girl. And when she was three years old, I take her out. We have a date to a nice restaurant that I like to go to. And I ordered my food and she, I ordered something for her and a Shirley Temple to drink, etc. And she got up and started wandering around to people's tables and at first they thought it was cute but 
it stopped being cute after a while. It was just annoying. And I kept on saying, Michelle, come back here, Michelle. And she wouldn't. And she was stubborn and she wouldn't. And I called the waiter over. I said, I'll have my check, please. And he says, but I haven't brought your steak, Mr. Bean. It's all right. I'll pay for it. We, we, we have to go home. You want me to wrap? I said, no, just give me the check. And she watched this. And I paid the bill and left a tip and took her home. And she got it. I was willing to sacrifice my meal. If I hadn't been, I would, I would have said, sit down, yeah. next time, next time. You're done. No, I didn't say that. She got it. And next time we went to a restaurant and she started to, to be, I said, well, out of here. And she got it. And she, and I, you have to be, when a woman is out shopping and the kid is a brat and she's at the mall and the kid is screaming and she says, will you get home? The woman is not willing to give up her shopping. She should take that kid home and sacrifice her day of shopping. And the next time the kid will know she means it. I mean, it's an interesting point because, you know, I think growing up, uh, it was, uh, you know, a night, a, a meal out was, yeah. it was a rarity, but, yeah, you know, yeah. it would be to like Burger King or something, yeah, but yeah, we were excited yeah. because we're yeah. eating somewhere. And I, I think that it, it was definitely that, I mean, my mom would always say like, you you know, I'll, I'll put you in the car yeah, and yeah. you can eat. But she had to mean it. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, I, she yeah. did. Yeah. She's like, you know, well, we can put you in the car and then you'll have to And then it's you die and the mother goes yeah. to jail. Yeah. And that's the thing is, yeah, well, that was the problem. We'd be more cold where we were. But it's just like, well, we knew she meant it. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. the thing. If you can get them if to you know you mean it. She knew she meant it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, I try not to be too new agey yeah, with yeah, things. Yeah. But when he was standing up on a chair a lot, yeah. I really didn't want him to hurt himself. Right. So I had to sit down. I had to talk to him. Yeah, this is what they yeah. say. And I feel yeah. like it's not yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. So I, you, know, you sit down on their level and I had to explain to him. It's like, you know, you can't do that again. Yeah, yeah. So he did it again. And I took the chair away. And he was so mad at me. Yeah, but you got to let he, them he be mad he at you. He doesn't yeah. stand in the chair anymore. Now, do you think anybody is still listening to us, Chris? No. Well, you know why they are? Because people love you. Oh, is that why? And uh, <laughs> the, people don't listen to me, you know. Uh, we've done 203 of these things. I think uh, we actually, in our 200th episode, a friend of mine created a song, and she sang about how we had 200 shows, and then the punchline at the end was four of them were actually funny. <laughs> so, But this will be the fifth, uh, uh, maybe the sixth, if we count the one with Dennis. And so I appreciate so much you spending so much of your time, your valuable time with me and all of our Blackcast listeners. So be sure to go to OrsonBean.com. Is there a place there where they can leave you messages and no, say No, unfortunately. The thousands of people have watched my show, and there's no way I know if they like it or not. But well, that's okay. They can tell me, and if they like it, all I'll right. tell you. And if they don't like it, I'll tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> but uh, OrsonBean.com. And uh, keep an eye out for uh, the cabin next year and teachers. Uh, keeping very busy, but uh, that's what we like to see. I still get residuals from Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, and how I met your mother, and and uh, uh, two and a half men. Two and a half men you on that. all the time. That, yeah, that shows on like twice a day, yeah. like three different times. I know, and so. they love my episode. Right. Yeah, it's, because it's you good writing. Yeah. Charlie's mother comes in. I'm there to protest the fact that he's diddling my trophy wife, <laughs> and the mother comes in. Is that your Rolls Royce in the driver? I say yes. She's funny. Uh, you look like my a lot like my fifth husband. She said, I said, oh, how many times have you been married? She says, four. <laughs> Good writing. That's great writing, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, thank you again, Orson, and uh, we hope to get an opportunity to talk to you again soon, and we will talk to all of you next time on the Blackcast. Stay tuned for more Happy Days. Hey!